Obviously, these character studies have one flaw in that it's difficult to preach on a particular scripture passage about a character who's got literally hundreds or thousands of words written about them in multiple chapters. And this is the case with Daniel. But to get acquainted with him, we'll read Daniel 1, verses 3 to 7, and then we'll jump ahead to verses 17 to 21. So Daniel 1, 3 to 7. Um, this, this is taking place as the Babylonian Empire is taking over the land of the people of Israel, the people of God, and the king commanded Asapenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And then we jump ahead to verses 17 to 21. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven. And concerning this mystery, oh, I jumped too far ahead. I beg your pardon. Wouldn't you like to know what that was all about? <laughs> Go home and sit in a comfortable place and read the whole book of Daniel. That's your homework. Please excuse me as I jumped a page ahead. Now, jumping to verse 17 of chapter 1. As for these four youths, God gave them learning, skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters, and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of God, written, spoken by God, and messed up in the reading by me. <laughs> Thanks be to God. So, anyway, gosh, if there's one important rule that everyone needs to know, someone even mysteriously sent me a cup that says this on it, don't ever take yourself too seriously. And it's important because as long as you don't take yourself too seriously, there's plenty of room for the Lord to be the most important thing. And that's why we do this. So when we are now 
in this house, finally, we're back in the building, but we've been the church all through all of this. We've been the body of Christ, and we've been following a series of messages about men after God's own heart, and it was all leading up to next Sunday, a week from today, when we celebrate Father's Day, and we meet the last of our characters, Joseph, I call him the best stepdad ever. That's because he was the stepdad to Jesus. But today we're going to meet Daniel. And when we meet Daniel, we are meeting someone who is radically different from all of the characters we've met so far. So far, all the characters we've met have been radically gifted and radically flawed. They've all been kind of a uh, duds in some ways and studs in others, right? They've been, they've been pretty awesome when they needed to be, but they also had some major flaws that got in the way of the perfect delivery of God's will through them, but yet God used them nevertheless. And now we're to a guy that is quite notable, first of all, because there's nothing negative written about him. You will not meet another character in the Bible who has so much written about him and not one cross word. Now this doesn't mean he didn't have any flaws, it just means there wasn't anything worth mentioning. And that's pretty impressive, you know? Uh, that is saying an awful lot about Daniel. In fact, I'm going to argue that unlike all of the other gentlemen we've met and similar characters we haven't met, Daniel is so much more in line with Jesus than any of the Old Testament prophets that he was invited to see the future in a way that no one else did up to the time of John of Patmos. And that this is probably due to the fact that he was so radically gifted and so inconsequentially flawed. Whereas these other guys that we've met, Abraham, Moses, David, when we met these guys, we saw how their flaws limited them. And one of the obvious but not so readily recognizable, as sort of a contradiction in terms, but, but what you see is, is that every time they encountered God, like Moses, for example, had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because God's glory would have been too great for him to bear. And so Moses got to be in the presence of God, but he had to be hidden from God's direct exposure. Other characters like uh, Abraham and David, they have these beatific moments when they're really in the presence of God, and yet they only learn enough to be effective in their particular circumstance. So God uses the interaction with them, which happens on earth. God comes to where they are on earth, and God teaches them things that they need to know and reveals things to them that will help them to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish in the moment. However, there are some other characters in the Old Testament who seem to be given an opportunity to see not only the present, but the future. And the only way you can see the future, as far as Scripture is concerned, is to go to where God dwells and, as it were, go in one door and then walk through God's dwelling place to another door and look out and you're seeing the future, you know? 
uh, house I grew up in in Pennsylvania was on a steep hillside and you walked in the front door at street level but if you walked about 25 or 30 feet you would be on a porch that overlooked a ravine and you were dozens of feet above the ground so this is what I'm talking about Daniel unlike the characters we've met so far not only got to experience God's presence but he went to where God was and experienced God's presence and what that tells me and what I think is important for us to learn today is that to be a person after God's own heart, especially a man after God's own heart, we're going to be more likely to experience more of God when we can get more of the junk that weighs us down that we call sin out of the picture. Daniel was unique in that he lived his 70 years or more in captivity but uniquely gifted and disciplined, which is more important than anything, to honor God above all else and to not give in to the temptation to honor the flesh and to join the world and whatever the world is doing. And for that, he was rewarded with being able to see God's realm in his living existence, his mortal existence, and to witness what God has in, in store in the future. That, that tells you something, I think. And the, the nice thing to know is, is that these flawed characters like David, they were people after God's own heart, and yet they were also messed up. But fortunately, God can still use you messed up. But you may not understand a lot of things now like you might have if you'd been more able to conquer the sin in your life, the flesh, that weakens us. The Apostle Paul speaks of that quite a bit. And I'm sure in his mind it was easy to relate to someone like Daniel and to see how, boy, if I could just be a little more like Daniel. And you know, Paul says he got to have a beatific vision, which is, was a fancy word that Catholics will use a lot because it's sort of a Latin-based word, but it, but it just means that you are in the presence of God rather than God being in your presence. There's, there's a difference, you know. It's, it's all about whether the elevator's going up or down, you know. So this is, this is the, the thing that Paul wants us to understand is that we can move toward being men and women after God's own heart, but the longer it takes us to get there, the less we're going to know about the future, and that means it's going to require more faith. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. Daniel was taken from his homeland early in his life because he was from the royal household of David. I misspoke in the Sunday school class and referred to the first Daniel in David's lineage, the child of Abigail and David, as Daniel the prophet, and I was mistaken in that because he actually comes later, you know, 500 years later, so I was only off by a little. Thank you for laughing. And he was, Daniel was this healthy, good-looking guy from the royal household. So he's basically someone who's been brought up with wealth and opportunity. He's somebody that is physically fit. He's been well-educated. He's got a lot going for him. What did those kind of people like a lot of times? You know, when you think about that, you know there's a lot of those folks that can be kind of privileged and, and benefit from the hard work of their parents or their grandparents. and. Sometimes those people can be real snots, <laughs> you know? They can be people who don't appreciate 
the character qualities that are required in order to become successful in some ways. And Daniel is unique because he is such a great guy and he was raised in wealth and he just went from one palace to another basically and he only had to sacrifice his commitment to the God of Israel and eat the food from the king's table which would have been sacrificed to idols before it was presented to the people. And Daniel says, you know, I ain't going to do it. He made up his mind that he would still honor the God of Israel and so working with the eunuch who was applied uh, to caring for Daniel and his companions and uh, how many of you thought, I, I thought their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because the song says that. It's really interesting because, you know, Daniel's uh, and his friends were given Babylonian names. They were being stripped of their uh, Israelite identity. And the Bible tells us in the early part of Daniel what their Israelite names are. But later on, Daniel stays Daniel, even though his name was changed to Belshazzar, and yet we perpetually remember because of the song about the fiery furnace the fake names that were given to his three friends. So hope you found that interesting. But these were guys who were constantly being tested because they constantly placed glory of God above themselves. And their faith and their courage was rewarded by God, but I think it's really important to recognize some things. First of all, you don't have to be good looking to be a man after God's own heart. How many people say amen to that? Thank you, Jesus. But what you do notice is, is that physical and mental strength are very, very useful to God. You know, sometimes when you're debating moral matters, especially with other people, having really good th critical thinking skills can make it go whichever way you think is best because you're applying more skill than some of the people you talk to. Can we look at our current times and see how some people aren't thinking very much, but they're sure making a lot of noise? And God values intelligence and diligence in learning critical thinking and wisdom. And so to me, wisdom is something you can both attain through critical thinking and God can gift you with an incredible spiritual wisdom, but both require discipline. And what I've found in my life is, is that you may not be as young and handsome and strapping good looking as Daniel, but you know, you can start looking better when people see your heart and mind. Have you ever noticed that about people? Some people are really good looking on the outside, but once you spend a few minutes with them and get to know them, they don't seem so pretty anymore. Some people don't seem real good looking when you first encounter them, but when you hear their heart and you see their soul, you begin to think, you know, I am really attracted to this person. So I think the message here is, is that holiness of heart and mind will make you better looking. Now, if you have no other reason to obtain holiness of heart and mind, I'd like to suggest that this may be a good reason. That's a joke if you think about it. If you look in the mirror and you go, my goodness, that could be so much better. I recommend holiness of heart and mind. It won't change the way you look on the outside, but it'll change the way people see you. Now, moving right along here, the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. Would you, would you see 
with me that Daniel would probably be the first one to tell you that because that's what makes Daniel so special. He'd say, yeah, yeah, they wrote a book about me, but it's really not about me. Who does he say it's about, do you think? God, of course. The book of Daniel is about God, and it's about God's absolute power over everything. He's absolutely more powerful than the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful ruler in the world at that moment. And God says, you know what? My kids are putting their faith in me. They're going to eat this fast. That's, by the way, I don't, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but, you know, you don't, uh, you, you can't use the book of Daniel as justification for, for vegetarian lifestyle. <laughs> Some people like to say that this book, uh, the book of Daniel is telling us that God wants us all to eat vegetables. I'm sorry. That's not what they're doing. They're fasting. They're praying and fasting. Daniel prayed every day, five times a day, towards Jerusalem. He fasted. He wanted desperately. You don't see this in him because of what's recorded, but he's doing these things for a reason. He's doing these things for a reason. There's a reason that we call people who follow Christ disciples because it's about discipline. He's disciplining himself to pray and fast because he's trying to resist the influence of the world as he knows the world at that time. He's trying to resist Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian world. See, we live in Babylonian world too. We live in a Roman world too. We live in an Egyptian world too. We're surrounded by the influence of our culture and the disciplines we practice will determine to the extent to how well we will navigate the various temptations of the flesh. Daniel would say he was weak, and that's why he was so committed to his fasts. That's why he was so committed to putting himself at risk and deliberately resisting the direction of Nebuchadnezzar and the world of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel would tell you that if he succeeded, it was entirely due to the influence of God and the Spirit of God and the deliverance of God. When you read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you sing that song from your childhood, you notice that there's a fourth person in the fiery furnace with them. Who delivered them from the flames? It wasn't their faith. It wasn't their courage. They probably expected to die. Who wouldn't? What made them special was, is die or not, they believed that God was more important than their temporary existence in the flesh. They put God above everything else. And they were willing to die, not because they weren't afraid to, but because they realized that God is more sovereign over everything than we are, and even the most powerful king in all the world, and that if I die, then I die. But my spirit lives on because of God's providence and protection and intervention in life. And it's a great lesson in the frame of mind that we all need to have. If we want to be men and women after God's own heart, we can be men and women after God's own heart like David, who was flawed and really did some despicable things in his lifetime. But he was after God's own heart because he believed in God's sovereignty and vision. He believed that God's kingdom was more important than anything else. 
And he believed that with all his heart, and so his heart was in line with God's heart, but his flesh routinely got out of alignment with God. So we can manage to be men and women after God's own heart, but not be all that useful to God because we're so weak in the flesh, so willing to ignore Christian disciplines or spiritual disciplines. Daniel's here to tell us what it could be like if we would encourage in faith, live the disciplines. The last thing I want to tell you about Daniel is that, that uh, there's more going on than we can perceive. And Daniel is an illustration of that. He doesn't see the circumstances from a limited perspective. And you don't have to either. You don't have to be a Bible scholar and you don't have to, to be like someone you admire or someone you think is, is more holy or biblically skilled or whatever. You don't need to think in those terms to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. But one of the things you can do is you can practice faith and courage in the spirit of Daniel and his friends to see that there's more going on than you're aware of. So when you look at our times right now, and you're troubled by what you know, just realize that in God's perspective, there are millions of things going on that we can't see. Things that we don't know. Right here in this church today, you were able to come to worship, but you, we don't know that dozens of people have been working behind the scenes to make this possible and to make it safe. And you don't have to know, but you do have to have faith that it's going on or you wouldn't come. So imagine in a much broader sense that God is actually in control of everything and that there's nothing about what we're seeing and hearing in the news or in any other aspect of our lives that God isn't aware of and God didn't already know about before because he told Daniel. He told John. He said, when Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives, yeah, you're going to see these things, but even that isn't the end. But what is more kindly and loving? You know, I, I hope you saw my video I made that I put up yesterday. It wasn't very good, but what could be more generous and loving than, than sending someone a message ahead of time saying, here's what you can expect? I'm not boasting about that. I'm saying that I'm trying to imitate my Lord. So I, in the imitation of the Lord, made a video to tell you what you could expect when you came here. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. He says, look, I want you to know that this is going to be happening. You're going to walk in this way. You're going to stop and visit Nancy. You're going to go through this, and there's people that are going to guide you, and there's going to be signs on the floor, and here's what's going to happen if you're out in the parking lot, and here's what's going to happen if you're at home. And to me, that was just a, a way of being like God in a very small way, because God always forecasts for us what to expect. He always does. And so when you view our times, think like Daniel. Don't just be men and women after God's own heart who are in spirit committed to God's will, but otherwise your flesh is still doing the same old fleshly thing. And the first and most important thing we can do in the flesh is to not let the flesh control how we feel about our times and our circumstances. Feelings are unreliable. This is, this is a, a more of a leadership message than maybe a 
Christian biblical interpretation, but I've talked many times with my friends and the staff about how many times churches go wrong when feelings are making more decisions than facts. Feelings are important, you see, but you have to start with the facts, then consider the feelings, and then go back to the facts and make a good decision. This is exactly what you need to do from the Christian perspective, and the facts are only facts if you have enough faith to believe that what God says about the world is the fact. And so, yes, it takes faith to believe that what God says about our times is true. But if you believe it's true, and I do, then I never think of things being the way humans tell me they are. I always look at them from a biblical circum, uh, point of view. I always look at a biblical perspective of things and then try to understand what God's saying to me. I'm not, my name's Daniel, but I'm not this Daniel. And Lord knows I'd like to be like him because I feel like I'm named after him in a way that makes me more committed to that kind of faith and courage combination that's unique in a guy like Daniel. But I can tell you that the most important thing that we can do to be men and women after God's own heart in the spirit of Daniel is to trust God, even when we're terrified and the fangs of the lions are dripping with saliva because they really want to pounce on you and eat you. And you say, well, if they eat me, God's still God. If they don't, God is still God. That's the courage and faith combination of Daniel. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Now burn it into our hearts and change us forever. Thank you for bringing us together in so many ways. Help us, Lord, to be your kingdom people, wherever we are, whatever our circumstances. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen.